0: Number two, The Pete Callender Show here on News Talk 1110 993 WBT. Thanks so much for hanging out with me. I appreciate it and letting me hang out with you. 704 570 1110 and 1 800 WBT 1110. You can also email Pete at com and on Twitter at Pete Callender. Oh, and remember, get the podcast. You can get it at WBT.com or com. and then it comes right to your smartphone or tablet every single day. Three different episodes, one for each hour. Without the commercials. I didn't say that. Okay. Um, So last hour, we heard a little bit from the president's remarks up in Buffalo um, in the wake of the mass shooting. And I did catch this as well. David says, Pete, Biden's travels. He said he travels all over the world. Since when? How many overseas trips has he done compared to previous presidents? Like, he only goes to Delaware. (laughs) which might be in his mind that might be or it might be overseas. I mean, you think about it. Right? When president is looking out the window of the the plane, Air Force 1 or probably the chopper first, right? I guess maybe they just take the chopper to Delaware. It's probably just the chopper ride. Or is he still riding the Amtrak? Is he still doing that? He's going to take the old lunch pail Joe. He's just going to get on that train and take it to take it to Delaware. But think about it. He gets on the helicopter and he stares out the window. Like he looks like, uh, like that picture of him looking out the window at the white house, you know, forlornly, just like looking out the, so he's looking out the window. What does he see? If he's going from Washington and he's going to Delaware towards the coast, what's he going to be seeing? Exactly. Water. He's going to see the Atlantic ocean. And it's very possible that he thinks he's traveled overseas. Yeah, I mean, it's possible. People get confused at that age. So, (laughs) sorry. That's a cheap shot. Cheap shot, but sometimes I take them. It's true. I have self-awareness on this. Yeah, Dave, I don't know. Uh, I thought the same thing. Because Did you hear what he said right after he talked about how he travels all over the world? He then says he gets people that call him from all over the world. All these world leaders, and whenever he's traveling and people are asking him, What's going on? What's happening? I don't understand. And then uh, what's going on with January 6th and Buffalo? But wait, have you, you took an overseas trip since Saturday? When did that happen? Oh, you were in Delaware. That's what happened. And he saw the ocean, thought I was overseas. That's the deal. Thought he was overseas. That has to be, look, I'm trying to give the guy the benefit of the doubt here. You know me, I'm a giver. So I didn't get that either. Um, did not understand the reference, but uh, that's that's all Joe. Then there's this. Thank you, Eric. I did see this the other day. So, yeah, Biden announced that he would be traveling to Buffalo following the mass shooting. This was from Sunday. They made this call Sunday. They said, go into Buffalo, going to stand with the people and uh, maybe attack some Republicans, maybe Tucker Carlson, you know, that kind of thing. Which was. Interesting. It's a different approach this time around than after the Waukesha parade massacre done by the was it black Hebrew Israelite guy that talked about killing white people and you know blaming everything on the Jews. And at that time, Jen Circleback Pasaki said that Biden has no plans to visit Waukesha. Why? Glad you asked. Because sending the president to a community, quote, requires a lot of assets. Oh, it's, so, it's just too much of a hassle. You know, you got to get the Secret Service in there and they got to like scope out the area and you got to make sure that the lone driver doesn't break out of jail, I guess, or something like that kind of thing. But Buffalo, totally different situation. One was in Wisconsin and one is in New York. Totally different. One was a white supremacist. One was a white hating guy. Like, see, these things, I mean, this, you could not even find a more, uh, a more asymmetrical comparison. They're so different. One obviously requires his attendance for purely apolitical reasons, nonpartisan behavior, and the other does not. It's very simply determined by the facts on the ground. Not sure why everybody is seizing or pouncing on this stuff. All right, but uh, let me get back to the uh, election stuff. Because today is the primary. If you haven't voted, you're not aware today is the primary. You should go vote. Your vote actually matters a lot more in the primary because so few people vote in the primary. Um, Numbers are down in Mecklenburg County. This according to... Charlotte Public Relations, their website, cltpr.com. So that when comparing the 2022 primary to the 2020 primary, the numbers are down. But that's not surprising because that was a presidential year. Presidential primaries are always higher turnout. And uh, back in 2020, Joe Biden had not secured the nomination of the Democrats at that time when we had the primary here in North Carolina. Trump was uh, in 2020, he was the incumbent. So he obviously had um, so that there, there's some. So obviously the numbers are going to be down. But some primary election years had 10 days of early voting. Some had five. Um, and some were, at, you know, multiple locations, some were at one location. In 2020, there were 15 days of early voting at multiple location. And this election, there are 17 days of early voting and that is the most ever because what have we learned that republicans being the vote suppressing monsters that they are expanded the early voting calendar right they so don't want people to vote they gave us more days in north carolina the numbers are up though if you compare the 2019 charlotte city council primary to the current city council primary but council races are held in odd years Last year's race got delayed until this year. Subsequently, this year's voter turnout on day four is equivalent to last election's turnout on day six. And what does that mean? It just means you got more people now that are voting early in the city council primaries because it's an even year and there are way more races on the ballot. In 2019, there was just city council. By the way, the the general election for the city council is in July. In July, hey, I bet all those poll workers really looking forward to staffing the polls for that barn burner of a contest, right? By the way, that general election, July 26th, I believe it is. You think you ha- you think you're going to have influence right now in a primary? You're going to have a lot of influence in the Charlotte City Council race in July. You really will because this is just a primary and that's a general, but it's basically the only race on the ballot for Charlotte city council resident or Charlotte city residents. And nobody votes in July. (laughs) Nobody. Everyone's on summer break. People are vacationing. Just saying we might actually get, we might actually see three Republicans on City Council. Uh, no, we won't. Who am I kidding? Nobody. That's it. I'm not kidding anybody. That's Michael Franti. News Talk 111099.3 WBT four five seven eleven ten 1 800 WBT 1110 was reading a piece the other day by Dallas Woodhouse final primary thoughts you see what he did there with the headline final primary thoughts get it maybe not he's just talking about the primary election actually so if the districts would have remained unchanged most primary election campaigns would have run from November 6th through March 8th we would it's a that's a A full four months difference, but in North Carolina, the courts got involved over the legislative maps and imposed the districts just hours before the brief second filing period in March. While Democrats were concentrating on lawsuits, they neglected, though, to field candidates in a lot of races. Yeah. Yeah, they kind of missed some of that. I will get into that. They kind of missed some of that. Dallas Woodhouse, who is the former Republican Party of North Carolina, uh, the executive director for the organization, he was doing work at. Uh, he's a former journalist too. Uh, I think he did TV news, maybe I forget. But he then, or maybe not, maybe he was newspapering. I forget. Anyway, uh, so he was a, a, a former journalist. Then he became a Republican Party official, uh, and uh, then he went to work for the John Locke Foundation. And now he just announced he's going to. South Carolina, what was it for? It, it may be like a business development position. So he's uh, he's heading south. And uh, this is one of his, I guess, I don't know if he's going to keep writing for Carolina Journal or not, but uh, this is, it might be one of his final pieces. But he makes the argument that the delay hurt voters. That the Democrats sued. They kept getting the maps tossed out. Democrat judges kept Imposing new deadlines, halting maps, drawing new maps, doing all of this stuff. And it hurt us, the voters. The freeze in the election calendar was a huge advantage to who? Incumbents. Incumbents, as well as better known candidates. Yeah. By the time many candidates had any resources to begin persuading voters, early voting was already taking place. In addition... The courts imposed an incredibly uncompetitive congressional district map. We talked about this at the time when they uh, imposed it. Twelve or thirteen of our fourteen congressional seats will now probably be decided in the primary. Republicans drew maps that were way more winnable by Democrats. For real. It was a. What was it? A six four four map. 6-4-4. Six, four, four. In other words, six seats that were solid Republicans, four seats that were solid Democrats, and then another four that were toss-ups. Anybody could win them. But see, Democrats know that this November, well, things aren't looking so good for them, and because of that, in steps the courts, in steps the special master people who draw these three of them they draw the maps they relied heavily on the corrupted guy that uh came out of princeton the princeton gerrymander project turns out yeah people that work for him blew the whistle on him yeah he's a total partisan hack he's trying to affect all of the metrics and such um so that's who drew the maps and what they come out with is a map that now has basically one competitive district but it assures democrats what six seats so that's what democrats call fair maps democrats call fair maps maps where they win maps that they are guaranteed a certain number of seats and they leave it vague because you never know when the uh the reality on the ground changes and so you need to then shift from a proportional representation argument like in other words one that is hey, we have more registered voters, so therefore we should have most of the seats. They will shift from that to other arguments like, well, we did better uh, in the presidential race, or we did better if you take all of the congressional races and add up all those numbers and then break them out on average. And then if you do that math, uh, plug them into an algorithm, beep, beep, boop, beep, beep, boop. And then all of a sudden, look, we should get like 10 of the 14 seats, right? So whatever uh, circumstance presents itself where they need to adjust their Uh, calculations they will do so as long as it gets them fair maps which means maps they win so they imposed on us the courts did they imposed upon the voters a compressed timeline for the primary which benefited incumbents it benefited people with higher name recognition shortchanged a lot of new candidates right but it also made the congressional races less competitive So people have less of an opportunity to throw out their Congress member, particularly of another party, of of the majority party. So good job on them. Fair maps there, Democrats. Also, the U.S. Senate GOP primary. I'll get into that in a minute. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Happy primary day. 704-570-1110. 1-800-WBT-1110. So, honest question here for you. Do you think we are going to get to see debates again among high-profile candidates? Do you think that is just going to be of a bygone era? And the only, look, This is not simply a criticism of Ted Budd. I just say it like that because Trump said it like that, and it's just fun to say. So it's not meant as an insult. It's just fun to say. Once you start saying it like that, you too will find it very difficult not to say it like that going forward. So Ted Budd hasn't been doing debates. He refused to debate any of his Republican opponents, and we've talked about that before. Uh, I understand from a a strategic standpoint— It makes some bit of sense, right? If you are up in the polls, why bother debating? If you're not a good debater, if you're very stiff, if you can't answer questions on the fly, not good at, you know, dodging and parrying and retorting and that sort of thing on a debate stage, if you stink at it, then yeah, you should avoid the debates, especially if you're leading, right? Because there's nothing to gain. But if you're a good debater, if you excel at this, then you would welcome that opportunity. See, and that's, My philosophy on this stuff is that you walk towards the fight. If you are in this is and I got this from Ben Shapiro years ago. He was given a speech and he said something along these lines that if you are going to engage in the political arena, then you have to walk towards that fight. You don't just get to say, well, I don't really know about that. No, you you have to you got to take on some of these arguments. Now, you should take them on. When you feel comfortable doing so, you should take them on after you've done your homework and you've thought about the issue. I don't want somebody just coming in and, you know, popping off random stuff. That's how you get the Todd Akins out there, the guys who are like, oh, it's legitimate rape versus illegitimate rape, and then, you... dude, shut up. Okay, just go away. That's I mean, yeah, you're just you're just walking into the the political arena and you're just like firing rounds off in any direction. You're not helping. Okay. But if you are going to participate in this, then, yeah, you got to walk towards the fight. And Bud did not do that. And he didn't have to do that. I understand that. I have criticized him and the campaign for doing it. I know why they did it, but I still don't like it. I would have preferred to have heard from him. And most importantly, I want to know if he's going to be able to debate Sherry Beasley. But you look at the other side of the aisle there with Sherry Beasley She doesn't get any of the criticism for not debating any of her 7,000 opponents in the Democrat primary. Yeah, there are a whole bunch of Democrat candidates. But Democrats and media, but I repeat myself, they wanted a coronation. She was the anointed one. She was to run. Everybody felt kind of bad for her because she uh, lost the uh, Supreme Court race to Paul Newby by, you know, 500 votes or something. And uh, so this was the consolation prize, run for U.S. Senate. Jeff Jackson bailed, right? State Senator Jeff Jackson from Mecklenburg County. He was like, you know what? I'm a white man. I'm going to go ahead and just give this to the black woman because we need to have black females in the U.S. Senate. I'm not kidding. That's he he cited this as she's qualified. She's more representative. She's this. Whatever. And then what happened? You had the courts redraw the congressional districts and lo and behold. Here is a gift to you, Sir Jackson. You have a congressional district in which you may run. And he is. And chances are he will win the primary. Chances are... Oh, see, I'm not... I am not saying he's going to win. I'm not predicting that. I'm just... It was kind of like I was predicting it. All right, okay. My apologies. Look, it's a hard habit to break. It really is. Should I do the old... It'll be interesting to see. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see if he wins. So they positioned him and he is in a position to win that seat. Um, but Beasley didn't debate any of her opponents. And so what's going to happen now? We're going to go to the general election. If Beasley wins and Ted Budd wins, we're going to have a Bud Beasley uh, uh, general election and neither one of them are going to want to debate because I suspect both of them are, are not too good at it. Although, maybe that would be the reason to debate because they both aren't good. And then you'd be sitting there like, hmm, she's pretty terrible. Well, no, he's pretty terrible too. Oh my gosh, who's going to be worse? So, you're going to pick the person who's less worse? I don't know. The reason why I wanted to see Ted Budd debate the Republicans is I need to know is he going to be able to perform in a debate against Beasley? But if the strategy going forward is, no debate, never, anyhow, any way whatsoever, then I guess it doesn't matter. That's not a criteria I should be demanding. I should not have to know whether or not a candidate for the U.S. Senate, the, quote, greatest deliberative body in the world, where people literally debate things, I should not have to worry about whether he's good at that because he doesn't need to be good at it in order to win the general election. Now, if she's trailing, and in this red wave environment, it's more than likely she's going to be trailing, right? According to her polling, I thought this was really interesting. She has sent out fundraising emails um, citing some poll that she doesn't give any links to. She just says that uh, whoever comes out of the Republican primary, whether it's Bud or McCrory, she, she's like, we're we're essentially tied. I don't know what the... I don't know what the margin of error is, but any poll has a margin of error, usually 3% or more. So it's they're both within the margin of error. But she actually puts herself as tied with Bud and trailing McCrory by one point, which is not – that is not what any poll shows that I've seen so far. But she's using it to fundraise. So maybe she's just – or, well, okay. Maybe the campaign is ex- exaggerating a little bit, a.k.a. lying, in order to get people scared. So they donate more money. That's possible. All right? That's possible. But if Beasley goes into the general election trailing, if the polls start showing that she's trailing Ted Budd, well, we know what Budd's going to do. He's not going to debate, right? He'll refuse to debate. He'll be like, Oh, I'm going out meeting people. I just have no time. Cause I'm so busy meeting so many people. Look at me meeting a person instead of a debate. So then what Beasley calls for debates, right? Now the media will not cover the irony or hypocrisy of her demanding debates when she refused to debate any of her opponents. No, no, no. But they will amplify her call to debate Ted Budd. Do you doubt me on that? No, of course not. The media will amplify whatever narrative, whatever message she would like amplified. So they will amplify the call for a debate. Does that become an untenable position for Bud in the general election then? Does that become too big of a hurdle where like you're you're gonna start seeing some of that impact in you know lower poll numbers. Or maybe going forward, high profile elections won't ever have debates again. They'll simply be determined by outside spending. Yay. All of the non North Carolina money coming in will buy our US senator. Really looking forward to that day. News Talk 1110993 wbt By the way, this question of whether or not high-profile races, particularly U.S. Senate races, will now lack debates. It's not just here in North Carolina, where the Republican frontrunner and the Democrat frontrunner, neither one of them would agree to a debate, but it's also happening down in Georgia as well. Saw this. Uh, this was sent to me from a listener named Jim. Don Cerber writing at his blog. So Amanda Carpenter at The Bulwark, she's a CNN contributor as well, is miffed because Senate candidate Herschel Walker won't meet the press. She wrote, short of some unforeseen implosion, Herschel Walker is going to handily win the Republican primary for the U.S. Senate seat from Georgia, now held by Raphael Warnock. And Herschel Walker will do it by running the easiest campaign ever. Debates? Skip them. Sit down with reporters and be grilled on policy? Nah. See, Herschel Walker doesn't make campaign stops so much as he makes appearances. He speaks to fans. He poses for photos. Welcome to the life of a celebrity candidate, she said. So, conservatives, says Don Cerber, are ignoring the press because they no longer want to be punching bags. Which is true. By the way media folks in case you're wondering, yeah, it's true. they don't need you anymore to get the message out. they don't need me anymore they it's, you know people who you hear on this show, for the most part during election cycles, if they ask to get on, I, I accommodate that because I, I think it's important it's a, it's a civic duty like the, we're local media, we're going to put on local candidates so you can hear from them in their own words and it's a public service, I think. Um, But outside of the election cycle, generally speaking, no, I'm not going to just have the door open for any candidate that's trying to make a a run at some point in the future. After the 2020 election, Walker is running the way anybody who wants to win would because taking questions from the press is idiocy because the press hates conservatives. Now, I will say this uh, for the Republican primary in for the U.S. Senate. um, It's not even a conservative media thing, at least as I understand it with the Bud campaign, they they don't do any media. They don't do any kind of debates. They don't want anybody. Yeah. Which is weird because I know some of the people over there. It's like, why? Well, okay, it's the strat. Like I said, it's the strategy. And if you're, and it's obviously working, all the polls show, Ted Bud is expanding his lead over McCrory. So it it, if it's the way to win, then it's the way to win. I mean, Screw us, but it's the way to win. And that's what's important. Uh, Not only did uh, Herschel Walker do Fox interviews, but he gave the New York Times and other hostile outlets plenty of his time. Donald Trump, sorry, sorry, I skipped a sentence. My bad. Hang on. Let me re-rack it. So Walker is running, Herschel Walker is running the way somebody who wants to win would because taking questions from the press is idiocy because the press hates conservatives. Let us contrast and compare press coverage. Between Donald Trump, who gave the press ample access, uh, you know, did not only Fox interviews, but New York Times and other hostile outlets. He gave him plenty of his time. He would often do impromptu press conferences before boarding Marine One. He would stand in the driveway, take questions for 10, 15, even 25 minutes. And how did the press show its gratitude? By badgering him about not holding a formal press conference. By calling him a liar when he told the truth. By aiding and abetting Obama's use of the FBI to spy on him. Oh, by the way, the Sussman trial began today. I'm watching, I'm monitoring some of that sort of during the commercial breaks here. The Sussman trial is underway. That's the lawyer that went to the FBI. I'm only here as a private citizen, just worried about our democracy. Not working for any client, especially not the Hillary Clinton campaign. So pay no attention to that. Hillary Clinton campaign letterhead that's at the top is just my mistake. I printed it on the wrong paper. Anyway, um, Biden, meanwhile, spent his days in Delaware running a Warren Harding style campaign. Biden occasionally popped out of his hole to look at his shadow, eat an ice cream cone. Uh, The press rewarded his ignoring them by covering up the story about Hunter's laptop. So Herschel Walker must have paid attention. He learned. Screw the press. Treat reporters like the dogs they are. They want a story? Too bad. They want an interview? Too bad. They want access? Too bad. Decades of press prejudice has delegitimized it. He then says, J.D. Vance and every other Republican nominee this year should emulate Herschel Walker and ignore the press. And so maybe that is the strategy going on here. It's not just Ted Budd and and Herschel Walker, right? Sherry Beasley's doing it too. So that takes us to the club for growth conservative group that has spent lavishly on independent advertising to boost the candidacy of Congressman Ted Budd. And they clearly believe they have the race won for him at this point in North Carolina, Dallas Woodhouse at his piece at Carolina journal uh, points out that uh, club for growth gave bud a roughly 15 to one outside spending advantage over his primary opponents. They just, they just outspent him. This is why, like, people who say that if you want to say that Club for Growth is buying this seat, it's not that far from the truth. And I'm sorry if that offends some people, but that is what happened here. That is what's happening right now. And that doesn't have anything to do with Ted Butt as a, a candidate, the campaign, whatever. That is an outside group coming in, dumping tens of millions, or they, they scaled it back, so it's about $10 million they spent in order to... to take McCrory's positives, take his numbers down. And it was successful because there's no way he could raise that kind of money. There were no outside groups that came to his defense. And so, and I don't say this is one is like, Oh Pat, you should vote for Pat. I I'm voted in the Democrat primary. So I, I, I don't know any other way to describe it about the club for growth. They're obviously, they're obviously funding candidates for a reason, folks. People don't sink that kind of money into electing a U.S. senator without expecting something for it. You know, Club for Growth has been involved in conservative politics for a very long time. It's kind of straight from their original mission, but they've been they've been so they take positions on policy, they advocate for policies. So I, I expect them to want something at some point. The club has recently canceled some ads. They're going to be uh, end up spending around ten to eleven million dollars in the race. It's still a massive and decisive amount. They had originally said 15 million, but Bud's numbers are now so high and the gap is so great between he and McQuarrie that Club for Growth is pulling its money and sending it elsewhere. Bud clearly was able to convince key people and some large donors who are wary of Trump's influence in the party that while he had earned the support of the former president, Bud himself is a reasonable mainstream conservative that can work with Senator Mitch McConnell. And the GOP Senate leadership. Isn't that interesting? He has convinced people. See, so like the campaign has done the work too. It's not just the money. News is next.